Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you hold on to us and you don't forsake us. Thank you that you continue to shower us with blessings day by day that we don't deserve. Thank you for your precious word and for the riches we find in it. Thank you for your spirit who is our teacher and our guide. Uh, Lord, I pray that as your word goes out tonight, uh, not one heart will be left unchanged. And I ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please take a seat. And please uh, turn back to James chapter 1 on page 854. I wonder whether you uh, know this quote. It's a quote from Gandhi. He famously said this, the, the, problems with, the problem with Christianity is Christians. The problem with Christianity is Christians. And it's a kind of a, a sentiment that's been echoed throughout the generations. Uh, the problem with Christianity is, is us. Uh, people who call ourselves Christians and yet don't really act as though we're Christians. And so the most common word to describe Christians by uh, the unbelieving world out there is hypocrites. Uh, the word hypocrite is just the word that means play-acting. It literally means where you, you put on a costume and you put on an accent and you, do, you put on a different persona. You pretend to be somebody that you're not. And that's how the world sees Christians. People who are play-acting, uh, talking about God, but not really living it. And I have to say that you can sympathise with them, can't you? Uh, when another church leader is exposed for sexual immorality, and another church leader exposed for financial misconduct, uh, when the Christian in the workplace flirts outrageously with every new female employee, when the Christian in the workplace goes down to Opera Bar on a Friday night and just gets drunk every Friday night. And the world says, you know, you are no different from anybody else. I reckon there's two issues, two diseases, which are spreading rapidly in our churches. One's called biblical illiteracy. People aren't living the Christian life because they just, they just don't know what the Bible teaches anymore. People aren't living differently because they don't know the Bible tells them to live differently. I met a girl at a wedding. She became a Christian four years ago. And she told me how a friend had invited her to church and she heard about Jesus. She can still tell me the night where she stood in church and it was tears rolling down her cheek as she committed her life to Christ. And she'd been in church almost every Sunday for the past four years. She loved going to church. She loved singing. She's on a welcoming team. And yet she talked about how you know, her life wasn't that different from what it was four years ago. And the more I probed, the more I questioned, the more it became clear that this woman, very enthusiastic and very genuine, she loved Jesus, but she'd never been taught the Bible. And I kept saying, well, you know, in the Bible it tells us about how to conduct our, our tongues and how to conduct our relationships. And she said, does it? I never knew that. And she sat in church every week and she'd never been taught the Bible. She's biblically illiterate. 
There are lots of people who are biblically illiterate by choice. They attach themselves to a church, but they choose not to come regularly. And they choose not to sit under a sermon. And they choose not to join a connect group. And they choose not to meet with someone to read the Bible. And they choose every day not to pick up the Bible on, on, on their bedside table. And they don't want to hear the word of God because, you know what, uh, they're fairly pagan lifestyle, they love it. And they don't want the word to really change them. Some are biblically illiterate by choice. Some through really no fault of their own. If they don't know what the Bible says, how can they live differently? There's another disease, and I think it's prevalent here. It is called biblical hypocrisy. This is a person who knows their Bible really well. Uh, They've read it from cover to cover. Uh, They've even done a PTC course. Uh, They might teach the Bible. They might have gone to more college even. Uh, And and they sit in church, and they go to other churches, and they they are hypercritical. They've got their Bible open. Has he got that right? Is he handling the word of God correctly? Does the Bible say that? And you can see the frowns on their faces and they're taking notes and they've got question marks and what does the Bible say? We're a word-based church. We love the word here. And then they walk out the door and they never do what the Bible says. All their sermon they should sit in, in church or sit in a filing cabinet and it does not transform their life and they are hypocrites. They've got a head full of knowledge. They've got a Bible underlined with different highlighters, different coloured highlighters, and that's lovely, isn't it? But they're not actually doing the Word of God. And they're hypocrites. And James addresses both those kind of issues. Whether you're illiterate or you're just a hypocrite, he says, it's all about the Word of God. See, if you're a Christian here tonight, if you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, according to verse 18, God chose to give you birth through the word of truth. You heard the word, it brought you to life, it gave you new life in Christ. But that's not where it ends. You begin the Christian life with the word, but you continue the Christian life with the word of God. I've got two points for you tonight. The first one is this. Uh, Accept God's word. Accept the word of God. Look at verse 21. Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. You have been saved by Jesus' death on the cross. You will be saved in the future. Verse 12, you will be saved and then get that crown of life but you're in a process of being saved, of being transformed, of being sanctified. And that comes as you accept the word of God and accept it humbly. Do you remember when Jesus talked about the word? He described it as a seed that is sown. He described how some of that seed, some of the word fell on, uh, it was just rejected and it was taken away by the birth straight away. And some, some of, the, of the word, it didn't take root and so it just died. And some of the word, it took root, but it was choked by the world and by the worries, and it just died. And some fell on good soil. And Jesus is saying, James is saying similar thing, that the word, verse 21, has been planted in you. It's taken root in you. It's Jeremiah 31, the law written on your heart. You're born by the word, and then the spirit enters you. The spirit enables you to accept the word, and to hear the word, and to understand the word, and to do the word. But you've got to listen. 
the word's there, the spirit is there, what's your job? Uh, Verse 19, everyone without fail should be quick to listen. Allow the word to enter your eardrum, give it some airtime. And I know that we live in a a soundbite culture where, what is it now, what's our attention span? Is it 30 seconds? Is it 20 seconds? I'm not sure. Uh, but that's not, what it, not the way you grow as a Christian, in, in, a, as a, in your Christian life. Be quick to listen. Cultivate an attitude and a, a longing just to sit humbly under the word and hear God speak. You know, I reckon we do exactly the opposite of what verse 19 says. Verse 19 says, be quick to listen. And the context is the word of God here. Be quick to listen to the word and be slow to speak. Our problem is we love to speak and we're bad at listening. And so we come before the the Bible each day and we might open the Bible but then we say, actually, I don't like that or I know better than you, God, and let me just talk about this. And and he says, shut up. (laughs) Shut up and just sit with your word open and let God speak to you. And cultivate that, that demeanor and, and longing to hear God speak. Will you be quick to listen? What stops us from listening to the word? In a word, it's sin. Verse 21. He says, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you. He's saying, get rid of the muck in your life. Get rid of the filth. Get rid of your sin. Take it off. How offensive and detestable your sin is. Get rid of it. Because it's hard to accept the word of God if you continue to sin habitually and have no desire to change. It is like you know, planting seeds. You've got to do the weeding. You've got to get rid of the yuck before the seed will grow. It's like doing any sort of decorating. You've got to do the hard work of preparation, get your surfaces right, do the sanding, do the cleaning before you paint. He said, if you want to hear the word, repent of your sin, get rid of it, change your life. Stop playing games with God. Stop coming to church saying, oh God, I-, I want to hear the word of God tonight. But you know what? There's that area of my life where I know you don't like it, but I don't care anymore because it's my life. If you're that kind of person... You're not going to humbly accept the word of God. It's often, you know, not doubt that drags people away from Christ. It's lifestyle. People enjoy living a certain way. People enjoy that inappropriate relationship. People enjoy being greedy and being selfish. And they enjoy those things. And so when they hear the Bible, when they hear the word of God, it kind of grates with them. And to begin with, the word penetrates deeply and they do repent and yes they long to live for Jesus but as time passes the weeds grow again and again it becomes more and more difficult to hear the word and and there comes a time where they don't want to change and the word just bounces off them because their lifestyle is so attractive and James says get rid of the moral filth do your weeding repent stop being selfish stop being stubborn will you accept the word of God humbly I think it's about the attitude, isn't it? To humbly come before God's word and say, I need you to speak to me today, God, because you're my God and I'm not. 
There's a great prayer in the Book of Common Prayer. It says this, it's on the screen. Blessed Lord, who has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, uh, grant, Lord, that we may hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. And that's the kind of attitude I would love you and I to have as we sit under the word, just to listen to the word of God. But that's not where it ends, is it? Some of you know I do triathlons. I want you to imagine that uh, I've done my swim leg, done my swimming, I've put on my bike shoes, got on the bike, I've done the bike leg, and then I say, that was a good day. I think I'll just stop there. And you go, well, you haven't done a triathlon. You've got to run. You can't call yourself a triathlete if you don't do all three disciplines. And James is kind of saying, it's not just about listening to the word. That's just one of the disciplines. Not just listening, but, but doing. Do the word of God. Verse 22, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. He says, don't merely listen. He's not saying don't listen. Listen is important. He's not saying have shorter sermons. He's not saying just let people tell you what to do. He says, listen to the word of God, but don't merely listen. Because if you just merely listen and don't do it, what are you? You're deceiving yourself. You're just play acting. No, do what it says. Put it into practice. What's the... um the questions that God's going to ask you on the last day. Do you think God is going to say to you, okay, tell me, Isaiah 42, verse 16, what does it say? Do you think God's going to say to you, how many sermons did you listen to? How many sermon notes did you write? The question God is going to ask you is, do you love Jesus and did you live it? Do you love Jesus? And did you show that you love Jesus by the way that you obeyed my word and obeyed my commands? Otherwise, we're just deceiving ourselves if we listen to the word and don't put it into practice. I knew a girl at university and she deceived me for three years. She told me that she had a holiday home in France and a yacht in France and her sister was at the Royal College of Music in London and her father was a stockbroker in London. And I believed her. And she talked about it regularly all the time. And it was all lies. And you know what? She kind of deceived herself because she'd created this deception and she's just living the lie. And I wonder whether some of us, the scary thing is that we can do that so easily, we just deceive ourselves because we know how to look and how to dress and how to act and what to do in church and where to find things in the Bible, but we walk out the door and we don't do it. It's the same throughout the whole Bible. Jesus says, not just knowledge, but obedience. Not just what you know, but what you do. So Luke 11, the women cried out, it's on the screen, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And Jesus said, no, no, blessed are those who, who hear the word and obey it. And Romans 2, Paul says, it's not those who hear the law who are righteous, but those who, who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Remember the story that Jesus told of the wise and the foolish builder? And they both heard the word, they both listened, it went into their eardrums, but only one did it and put it into practice. 
And James is kind of saying, if the Bible does not impact your life, if the Bible doesn't change you, you're just playing games with God. The example James gives in verse 23 is brilliant. He says, anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like the man who looks at his face in the mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately he forgets what he looks like. It's a, it's, it's a perfect illustration. Uh, come with me to my flat early in the morning. I, and I, I roll out of bed and I walk into the bathroom and I look in the mirror. As I look in the mirror, what do I see? I see hair that's all crazy and needs to be combed and maybe a bit of product put, put in it. And I think, you know, I've got two important meetings today and oh, I need to shave because oh, I've got three days growth. I must shave this morning. And I'm about to walk away from here and I, and I spot this blemish on my cheek and it's a bit yellow. I thought, oh, I must squeeze that because that's disgusting. And, and I look in the mirror and then I walk out the front door. And I walk straight out that front door with my hair completely messy and I haven't bothered to shave and I've got this horrible yellow zit on my, on my cheek. And you're going to say to me, Paul, what was the point? What was the point of bothering to go in the bathroom? Just walk out the door because it made no difference. And James says to you and to me, what is the point of having our noses rubbed in the Bible if it never changes you? What's the point of staring at it and writing notes if you don't do things differently? It's a complete and utter waste of time. So you're having your quiet time in the morning and you you read that God loves a generous giver and you underline it. And then you come to church and the bags come by and you just ignore it and your monthly check comes in and you think, oh yeah, God loves a generous giver, but I'll swear that next month. And you hear a sermon on pride. God hates the proud. And then you walk out of church and your whole attitude is me, 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 and life's about me, and life is about me, and how important I am. And, you know, the Bible says, share the gospel. You think, I must do that, I must talk about Jesus. And the first opportunity you get, someone says, oh, what did you do last night? Oh, nothing much. And I get people who come to me and say, oh, I had a great quiet time. I spent 50 minutes in the Bible today. And James would say, great, that's fantastic. Now tell me, how's that changed you? What relationship's going to be different? What, what's different about your thought life? What's different about your love for people? What about your motivation? What about your joy? What about your contentment? What about helping those in need? What's changed out of those 50 minutes in the Bible today? What are you going to do differently today? Because James says in verse 25 that the man who looks intently into the perfect law, that's the word, it's perfect because it comes from God, it's the law because we must obey it. Uh, The man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, life as God intended, he looks at the law and then what does he do? Verse 25, he continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it. He's the person who will be blessed. See, God captured the slogan, just do it, long before Mr. Nike did. He's kind of saying, come to the Bible each day with a big tick on your Bible, just saying, just do it. Please stop stuffing your head with information if there's no transformation. 
Please stop writing sermon notes if you just leave them in your pew or leave them in your Bible and it doesn't change you. Do the word of God. Let me give you three tests as I close. Test number one. Are you controlling your tongue? That's the test that James gives in verse 26. If anyone considers himself religious and yet doesn't keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. What's the point of reading the Bible if with your tongue you slander people and you gossip and you verbally abuse people? What's the point of stuffing your head full of Bible verses if you patronise people and you're rude and with your tongue you're full of anger and deceit? Verse 19 says the same thing, be slow to become angry for man's anger doesn't bring about the righteous life that God desires. How many of us here regret you know, the word spoken in anger? We can't take it back. Are you controlling your tongue? Are you doing the word of God? Secondly, are you caring for the helpless and the needy? That's verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after those who are rich. To look after those who are wealthy. To look after those who can pay us back in some way. To look after the people that we like. To look after the people that we get on with. To look after the people who can invite us around for dinner. (laughs) Is that what it says? The religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after the orphans and the widows in their distress. To look after the people of this world who can't care for themselves. The widows and the orphans of people of Jesus' day who were helpless. And the Christians, the followers of Jesus, were the ones who were called to be different. To not do what the world is and just walk past them. But to stop and to care and to feed, expecting nothing in return. And that is costly. It's throughout the whole Bible. Isaiah chapter 1. Let me just read it to you. It says this. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Psalm 68 verse 5. God is a father to the fatherless and a defender of the widows. And we're supposed to be God's children. Caring for those who can't care for themselves. This year we've got a, a vision for church. It's a year of living generously. Using our time and our skills and our money to, to help those who might be in need. Uh, someone came up to me and said, I love your vision. I'd love to do something this year. I'd love to do one thing this year which was generous. And I said, one thing? So you can tick the box? Surely you want your whole life to be Generous. Sure, you want your whole mind and attitude to be changed so that whenever you see someone in need, you want to respond because you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus. Don't know what to do? I'll tell you things to do. <laughs> Go and help at the food van. Go and help at the refugee centre. Go to the prison chaplain. Just walk down the road to James Milson where there are, are hundreds of elderly people who are crying out for someone to have a cup of tea with them. Go and help down at Greenway. Come and do Clean Up Australia Day. Walk past people in the street who need help and help them. Stop helping people who can help you back. 
Stop caring for the people who, who you like and who actually fit into your social networks and start to help and love the people who are in need and helpless because that's what it means to do the word of God. Lastly, are you growing in personal holiness? Verse 27 again, the religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. To recognise that you're called to be spotless and pure and blameless and to recognise that the world will not help you to be like that. And you will take drastic measures to be different because you want to obey the word of God. I found preparing this sermon and preaching this sermon really hard because I do feel like a hypocrite because there's things in my life which are not in line with what I've just said. And what I've been praying for this church and for myself is that we will be people who don't just have the word of God in our heads I don't just have the word of God on paper. But we're known to be people who do the word of God, who actually live out what we preach. That's my prayer for you, that's my prayer for me. That when people look at this church, we would be not hypocrites, but we'd practice what we preach. Give you a moment's silence to spend some time before God, maybe confessing or pleading with Him that you would hear and do the word. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Father, thank you for your amazing love for us. Thank you that you continue to cherish us and don't treat us as our sins deserve. Thank you that you speak to us and you long for us to have a greater grasp of who you are and how you want us to live. Lord, I ask for your forgiveness for times when we just ignore what we learn and don't put into practice. Uh, Lord, that's so hard, and I pray that you would give us, empower us with your spirit to actually be hearers and doers of this precious word. I ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen.